this could I'm be gonna, it. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> that little moment right there could be the best moment of my entire life. What? What moment? Talking to someone as knowledgeable as that about Alabama football. Oh, yeah. You talk to us all the time about Alabama football. And <laughs> we, we, don't, don't care. we don't care. Right, right, <laughs> right. I mean, it's like I don't even know how to put that into words. I, listening to him talk and then listening to you talk back to him, it was like I was hearing two Dylans at the same time. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Boy, that is a scary, scary thought. Yeah. The world cannot handle that Double type of greatness. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out, everybody. Double Dylan. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us here at Bleacher Talk. I am Josh. I'm here with my man, Dylan. Real bad. I'm here with my other man, Jackson. Go Tigers. All right. <laughs> that was a great stutter there. Uh, Just we, like the Auburn season. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so we have, a, we have a really exciting show today. We've got a special guest, um, Stephen Smith. Uh, who is a part of Touchdown Alabama. Um, if you're a Crimson Tide fan, you probably know about that magazine. You probably know about Steven. Um, he covers the Tide, has covered them for more than a decade, and uh, just a really great guy and has some really amazing insights uh, to uh, to the Crimson Tide. And, and he says in the show, if Nick Saban sneezes, he knows about it. So he's definitely the guy to talk to if you want to know about, about the Tide. Um, he's going to plug all of his stuff towards the end of the episode, so be sure to be looking for that and, and follow him, give him a shout-out. Uh, be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms at Bleacher Talk Podcast on our Twitter, Instagram. Uh, be sure to like and subscribe all of our uh, podcast episodes. Uh, give us a rating. That helps us out tremendously. Uh, shout us out. Uh, tweet us. Uh, give us a shout out on our our email. Man, I can't speak. What's wrong? Uh, with my email. Uh, <laughs> Typical Auburn fan. <laughs> it's just, it's tough. It's, it's really hard. Uh, but our, our Gmail is bleachertalkpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can reach out to us, send us a question or a topic that you'd like for us to discuss, um, or just tell us how much you love us because we know you do. Thank you. <laughs> that was weird. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But let's get this rolling. Let's get going. Here we go. Okay, good. I'm gonna. Uh, I've got my two guys with me, Dylan and Jackson. Uh, Dylan, say hey to Stephen. Hey, Stephen. How you doing, man? What's going on, Dylan? Yes, sir. Roll Tide. Right back at you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jackson, if you'll say hey. What's up, Steven? How are we feeling, Jackson? Man, feeling good. War Eagle. Oh, man. It's a mixed bag around here. It is. It is. <laughs> so just to jump right into it, we've got a special guest today. Uh, Mr. Stephen Smith, um, and I'm sure before I even go into your intro, a lot of people are going to be like, oh man, y'all got Stephen A. Smith, that's awesome. Look, that's how we're going to throw it out, so if it gets extra traction, that's just, it is how it is. Stephen, what's up, man? Doing good, man, fantastic, uh, really, really happy to be here. Well, man, we, we appreciate you being with us. I'm just going to, I'm going to let you kind of tell us who you are and what you do. I, I am going to say that um, you are a graduate of the University of Alabama. 
Uh, you're a senior writer and reporter for Touchdown Alabama Magazine, um, as well as the host of the Touchdown Alabama podcast. Uh, but tell us a little bit kind of what you do for the Crimson Tide and for Touchdown Alabama. Well, for the last for, for the last going for the last ten years of this season will be season number eleven. I know that's uh, kind of crazy, but for the last ten years, I have been the guy on the ground uh, covering Nick Saban and this, and this football team. If Nick Saban was to sneeze right now, I would be right behind him. <laughs> I'm out there, you know, on that practice field. Uh, getting the inside information, the looks at what goes on in practice, what goes on in certain drills. I'm inside the press conference room. I'm inside the games. So, so basically, I've been on the ground of the last 10 years uh, getting the in-depth intel on uh, this Alabama football team, uh, on the Alabama football team and for uh, the magazine, which has been around for, in October, this will be 13 years, hmm. uh, my 11th year. But for the magazine, what I do is not only uh, writing uh, articles and, and covering different stories, but as you guys mentioned, I have uh, the podcast show entitled In My Own Words, in which I'm taking the Alabama fan on a trip through my mind, and I'm trying to get you to feel how I'm feeling in in regards to you know, Alabama football, breaking it down from different angles. It's something new, it's something different, it's something a little bit more cutting edge, but it's something that I think would speak to the heart of a fan that really wants to know, okay, what's going on with current Alabama? Yeah, so I, and I think you touched on a really good point because podcasts are probably behind television one of the uh, most popular forms of entertainment or how to get information. And I'm, you know, being a huge fan of any sports team or anything in general, uh, if there's something that you like and there's a particular podcast out there, that's that's a really awesome platform to be able to go to and be like, hey, look, I'm a huge Crimson Tide fan. I want to know anything and everything that I can get my hands and ears on and to be able to go and have a specific podcast dedicated strictly to that, that that's really awesome. It is. And, and the idea kind of – the idea I've been playing around with for quite uh, some time, uh, the first time I struck up doing this, it actually turned into uh, a radio show on a live network. But, uh, unfortunately, the radio thing and myself just did not uh, kind of see eye to eye. So we kind of just went back to the whole – podcast theme and it, it just feels like when you're doing it more of a podcast style when you're doing it more of your own and you're independent with it uh you can be more authentic you can take the direction the way you want it to you know, versus the radio viewpoint and i'm not uh taking shots at radio here but in radio it they want it done a certain way uh your fonts hit x number of hands before it hits yours you know, versus podcast where it's your own style and it's, and it's on your own time. Yeah, I mean, I think you certainly, when it comes to radio, and, and I've, I've worked a little bit in the radio business, have friends in that business, and you certainly have your hands tied in certain areas, and, and there's a lot of restrictions there. So that, that podcast can really open it up for you and, and allow you to kind of 
kind of have a little bit of free reign in that. If you listen to any of our episodes, you will you will definitely be able to tell that we do not listen to anybody or read anything about how to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but look, so so we we're kind of a mixed bag. So, um, I you know I'll have to admit, me and Jackson here, we are uh, huge Auburn fans. Uh, we've kind of grown up uh, as Auburn fans, which. It's funny because our dad is a massive Alabama fan and has been a huge Alabama fan his whole life. And, you know, people ask him all the time, like, hey, how did your kids turn out to be Auburn fans? And he said, I don't know. I didn't feed them for like two weeks. And they still turned into Auburn fans. Uh, but I, but our other guy here, Dylan, he is a also a massive Alabama fan. So I'm going to kind of – we're going to, you know, jump around, maybe ask you a few questions. And uh, Dylan's definitely going to – go into a lot more detail when it comes to the to the crimson tide so, so i'll let dylan kind of ask you a couple of questions well Stephen, what i want to start with first um you know i want to kind of move on to this year but the one question i want to have that i do have for you to see if you kind of agree with what people have said and i know Tua kind of said it this week at media days too is how much how much motivation how much of an edge do you think the the loss to Clemson is going to give this year's team? Like, I think it gives a, a tremendous edge just due to if you if you could just check the if you could check the polls, Dylan, of what's going on in Tuscaloosa. There is a serious hunger uh, right now. There's a serious motivation right now. You have not seen these players interact on Twitter at all this summer. Uh, if they have been on Twitter, it's been a lot of them posting videos of them working out, of them training, of them getting uh, 100% prepared for the season. Also, normally during the offseason, we've become used to seeing a couple of players here or there get arrested for numerous things, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's uh, marijuana possession, whether it's gun possession or things of that nature. No Thai player has been arrested this summer. So you have no Thai player has been arrested. There has been arrested this summer. No Thai player has spent time being on social media just to be on there. This is a very hungry team. This is a very focused team. This is a team that got embarrassed in of a national championship game. Very rarely do you see a Nick Saban coach team and Nick Saban himself get physically and mentally uh, undressed on national TV. And that, that happened. And when you lose 44-16 to 16 to a Clemson bunch under Davos Sweeney and defensive coordinator Brent Venables, who had every NFL scheme in the book prepared and ready to go, and their guys were locked in, when you get physically and mentally undressed like that, it does something to you. It, it, it wakes you up. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people for sure say that, you know, as much as you want to have an edge, it, it's definitely probably hard to create that edge if you're coming off of a national championship win, you know. So it's it, having that edge now, it's a lot easier to have the edge, especially losing, I, I would say, definitely the the most embarrassing loss that Alabama's had since Coach Saban's been, you know, the head coach. So um, go, jumping into this year, and I know that we're still, you know, a week or two away from, from practice actually starting, but I know we've had some camps. Uh, if, you, if, you had to, if you had to say 
what would be a couple of names, maybe one on offense, one on defense, of some guys that maybe are a little bit under the radar that you think may be household names by the time this year is over for Alabama? Well, the first one on offense that will be a household name by the time this year is over, I definitely want to watch John Mechie, number three, the wide receiver out of uh, Brampton, Canada, at 6'1", 195 pounds. I joke with him a lot about this, but it's the truth. Uh, he is the Canadian version of Calvin Ridley. Yes, he is the he, he would be Calvin Ridley's Canadian twin. <laughs> Where's number three like Calvin? The body type is similar. He runs like Calvin. He catches the ball like Calvin. He's physical like Calvin. There is a lot of Calvin Ridley in this young man, and he's already currently a uh, talking noise to the other receivers and telling them, I am going to steal some receptions from you guys in this upcoming season. This was a young man that in the spring game uh, really turned it on. I believe he had five catches for 133 yards, was the most valuable player of the spring game, played tremendously well throughout the entire spring uh, practice period. So offensively, a guy to keep your eye on would be uh, John Mechie. Defensively, a, a name that could be on the radar, which could be really good for next, for this season. I would go with uh, DJ Dale, of a true freshman defensive tackle out of Craig Chalkfield High School in Pinson, Alabama. He came in at 6'3", uh, 330 pounds. So he's dropped some weight. He's dropped 22 pounds. So he's now 6'3", 308. And I got a chance to talk to his trainer out of Birmingham about a week or so ago, and he told me that, you know, DJ becoming more conditioned as a player, he's going to want to be an every-down guy on that field, and he could potentially have a faster first step than Quinn and Williams. Wow. And that's crazy when you think about that because of how great Q was a season ago. When you talk 19-and-a-half tackles for loss, uh, eight sacks, 12 quarterback hurries, he was just a 300-pound wet bar of soap getting to the backfield <laughs> and creating that type of havoc with his athleticism. So you're telling me this kid and Dale could have a faster first step than the 300-pound wet bar of soap that looks like a 12-year-old kid that <laughs> I have 100% ready to see this. So uh, DJ Dale defensively and offensively, I would go with uh, the wide receiver, John Mechie. So, Stephen, this is Josh. Now, I, I'm I'm curious to. So, obviously, we you know the the main focus most of the year is on offensive defense, obviously. But it seems like the running theme during the Saban era has been one of his pitfalls has been special teams, in particular the kicking game. And although it seems like there has been uh, an answer, uh, maybe a little bit better in the last year or two, and. Uh, obviously going back in the last decade or more that you know there's been some pretty awful awful uh kickers that have come through what is it that that you feel like that that is the one spot that seems to be a continual thorn in nick saban's side well i've got a chance to talk to a lot of uh, alabama fans of course they have all got the idea of this uh, program sold it sold the devil to get to us. So they had to sacrifice the kicking game. I've heard that uh, quite a number of times. And there's been some moments to where you feel like, are the kickers afraid of Nick Saban? 
this Nick Saban intimidate the kickers uh, because it, it is you, you do have one job and you're only able to go out there on fourth down if you're in field goal range to do that job or coming off a touchdown when you have to execute that point after that extra point. So I do understand where that, that role comes in. But I feel like this upcoming season, there's going to be a difference. There's going to be a big improvement on special teams in the kicking game and why. Not only do you have Jeff Banks, who is a hardcore a special teams guy, a hardcore kicking guy, entering his second year. He was actually a punter uh, back in college at Washington State prior to him becoming, of course, the special teams coach in his career at various stops, including one Texas A&M, where he helped uh, Drew Kayser and Shane Trapuca, the kicker and the punter, respectively, have great careers over there in Aggieland in College Station, Texas. So you've got the guy in Jeff Banks, but also you hire two quality control guys, two quality control coaches to come in and help him. You know, both guys were kickers in their own right. So these two guys are coming in, you know, they're cutting up assignments, they're cutting up different, you know, ways on tape to help the likes of Joseph Belovis and uh, Will Riker, the freshman coming in, or the freshman in now, and also Skylar along the punter to help all three guys be better, uh, get better, and improve. And so all three guys made some strides in the spring game. Uh, Will Riker, the freshman, had fans on their feet uh, in the 8A game. He made all five of his point-after-touchdown tries, nailed a 43-yard field goal to which I think every woman in that stadium put their bottle of tequila back in their purse <laughs> after seeing that 43-yard field goal go to the goalpost. Uh, he, he, he also showed that uh, the young man can punt some as well. Yeah. Uh, averaged uh, 42 yards per punt, so really uh, applying the heat to the older guys. And you know, Skyler DeLong, after having a rough year last year, and, and part of that rough year was as a freshman, you're taking over for a legend in J.K. Scott. Yeah. I mean, this guy was legendary. J.K. had to come in with an MVP-type mindset because that 2014 defense, you really didn't know who your leaders were going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, they grew before your eyes as the season went on with guys like Reggie Ragland and Landon Collins and so forth. But you really didn't know at the start of that 2014 year who are going to be your defensive leader. So J.K. Scott coming in from uh, Denver, Colorado, had to be the golden leg, and my God, he, he was that. I mean, he was legendary. So to fill in those shoes for one scholar along was difficult. But he, he got better uh, in the offseason, going back to the spring game, did average 47 and a half yards per pot. Looked, looked much more confident, looked much more comfortable in year two. So having Jeff Banks a second year and having the quality control coaches with him, uh, expect big improvement uh, in the kicking day. <clears throat> Steven, I got a, I got a question for you. There's And Jackson will attest to this. One of my favorite players on the team that if you're not an Alabama fan, you probably don't know a lot about. But <laughs> – Terrell Lewis, I know um, I read something that after every spring, after every spring training, the coaches go in and evaluate the players and they and they rank them. And last year after the spring, Terrell Lewis was voted number one as the best player on the team. And then obviously everybody knows he got hurt and was and, you know, he had to miss. 
Um, I want to know, you know, how how is his because he also set out this spring, uh, you know, maybe more precautionary. But how is his rehab going, and what should we expect from him this year? Rehab going very strong. He will be one hundred percent by the start of this season, and that Terrell Lewis is a freak freak show. I mean, you're, you're talking six five, two hundred fifty two pound freak freak show, and <laughs> five star coming in from Washington, D.C., and uh, he's one of those kids that the moment you see him, you recognize how special that young man is. And uh, I remember a couple of fall camps ago, I was at Bryant-Denny, you know, watching that young man go through drills, and my jaw hit the ground because I'm like, there is no way on God's green earth that you could be 6'5", 252, that long, that lean, that athletic, that strong, but have that type of speed also. I watched this guy intercept to a tongue of Aloha and take it 60 yards to the house and was not even breaking a sweat. <laughs> and I'm like, is this Megatron? Is this Optimus <laughs> Android? What is this? And it's, uh, it's most definitely Terrell Lewis. And, I mean, he, he's got a smile that, that lights up a room. He, he's cut from a different cloth. He's a different breed. This is just a different, different animal. And when this cat is on the field, the team feeds off his raw emotion, but not just that, his raw um, talent. And it's been, it's been hurt. It's been hurt to. It's been painful to watch him not be on the field the last two full seasons. He's missed 25 games just due to the knee issue, uh, had an elbow injury in 2017, but 100% now he's really attacked at rehab. Uh, you mentioned the, the precautionary things. They're trying to just hold him out just to make sure nothing else happens with him right, right. because they, they got the knee cleaned out, so the knee is fine. NFL scouts know if they can get one full year healthy out of Terrell Lewis, this is the first-round pick. Because you see the size, you see the freakish athleticism, you see the raw intensity, all that's needed for NFL fans to finally check that box of Terrell Lewis in their mind is for him to put together you know, one full season healthy. But this kid is a bionic human being. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm so looking forward to seeing him and Ayabi Anoma on the, same field, on the field at the same time together. I know that you know with Anoma, um, a lot of people thought he would see the field more last year. And from what I've heard, you know, it sounds like with the addition of Coach South and Sari, he's really helped with, with Iyabi. Uh, the return of Sari has he, – he, uh, he's brought a fresh concept as far as responsibility, not just on the field but in the classroom with Anoma. Anoma doing much better in school – I know I'm doing much better on the field in terms of not just wanting to know his job, but wanting to know what everybody else is supposed to do just so he can get everybody else on the same key. Uh, he's speaking out. Uh, he's being more vocal. He's always been kind of that fast, quick, twitch type of edge rusher. But now, you know, style has kind of come in and refined that skill set and brought a sense of responsibility to that skill set. So uh, expect uh, big things from Anoma. Expect big things from Terrell Lewis, uh, Anthony Jennings, and also 
Uh, redshirt sophomore Christopher Allen. Yes, I expect some big things from that kid as well. At 6'4", uh, 250 pounds, and a Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So he's another one there. Uh, he's another one that the coaching staff has a lot of high expectations for. He's battled a couple of injuries, but now Allen is fully healthy. So, Stephen, just to kind of switch gears from individual players, one thing I'm curious about, because especially since you've covered the Tide for, you know, more than a decade, and, and Saban's been there, uh, obviously, since 2007, but in this age of college football, the dominance that the Crimson Tide have had in more than a decade now, how have you seen other teams like a Clemson, like a Georgia uh, try to adapt and try to maybe form the same traditional winning just like the Crimson Tide have? Well, it, it, it all starts in recruiting. It all starts in recruiting. They're, they're going out there and trying to get the transcendent names. I had a friend at one point in time that would always tell me, sometimes it's more than just the X's and the O's. X's and O's are great, but sometimes it's bigger than scheme. Sometimes you need those Jimmys and those Joes. Yeah. <laughs> you need those transcendent names that can go out on the field and make some things happen and create a play and create a turnover and create a touchdown and do things that make you, you know, not want to go to the bathroom and pee. Yeah. You know, when somebody else is out there, you might want to take that bathroom break. When that transcendent player is out there, you're like, well, my kidneys can wait a minute because this transcendent player has just taken center stage and I don't want to miss anything. So for a lot of these coaches at, at these programs, like you mentioned, Clemson and Georgia, it all starts in recruiting. They're hitting that trail hard. They're getting uh, that five-star in, in California. They're getting that five-star in Maryland. Uh, they're getting that five-star in Florida, that five-star in just various states of the country. It's not a five-star they're getting that four-star that nobody's looking at. They're getting that three-star that could be kind of under the radar, but that three-star has a lot of big-time talent. So it all starts for a lot of these programs and trying to catch Alabama. you got to get the big-name recruits and then hope that you hit on some that a lot of people may not be looking at, but you hit on some that could be big steals on the recruiting trail. Yeah, and, and you know, one thing that always kind of sticks out to me, and, and this has really even changed just within the last 10 years uh, tremendously, is the use of social media. Uh, and it seems like a lot of these other schools are have really taken advantage of it, um, have really said, hey, we're going to put our name out there anywhere that we can so that they can get these kids from these other states, California, Texas, even, you know, like you said, in Maryland, uh, because they're – it, it used to be that those a lot of those kids really just kind of stuck to home and, you know, maybe played at a school just the next state over. But now, I mean, you look at not only the Crimson Tide, but a lot of teams are now made up of, I would say, probably almost 50-50 of your kids that are in-state and out-of-state throughout the country. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it, it's Snapchat, it's YouTube, it's Huddle. Any way, form, or fashion that these coaches can see these particular young athletes and their highlight tapes, they're going after these guys. I mean, in, in years past, it was always, or in, in recent years or back then, 
you were visiting the home of these players, whether you were visiting the mom, the dad, uh, the grandparent, the auntie, the big cousin, or, whom, or, or whomever served as that guardian. Uh, these coaches were going to uh, these high school games and really uh, taking note of the players that they were trying to recruit. But with the influx of just so much out there in social media, it, it's, it's nothing now for these coaches to sit down, pop on a highlight tape from Huddle, put it on the big screen, slow it down, speed it up, kind of like TiVo, you know, slow it down, speed it up, <laughs> and, and catch something that makes you go, whoa, uh, let me go hop on a plane or let me go hop in the car and drive you know, three to four to five hours down the road to the middle of nowhere to go watch this kid. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll just say a quick disclosure for those of you who don't know what TiVo is. <laughs> for those of you under the age of 25, uh, TiVo was, is basically like YouTube. I mean, you pause it, fast forward, rewind, all that good stuff. Well, I, I think um, in this day and age of Twitter and Instagram, it is amazing how quick a, a single moment, a single game can turn one of these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids into a super megastar, not only because of their performance on the field, but also for the recognition that you get from these professional athletes or celebrities. I, I, I'm thinking specifically about Tua last year, or year before last, uh, when he came in and, and you know took the tide to the national championship against Georgia in the second half. And that half of a football game turned him into a superstar. And you had guys like LeBron James, you had guys in the NFL, even like Brett Favre, and these guys that don't really talk a lot on Twitter were making mention. And, and that has really impacted the landscape of college football. Well, not only just that, I mean, you go back and you look at a guy like, like Josh Jacobs, a three-star from McLean High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, only had maybe one to two offers. A uh, history of living in, in random hotels and random motels and living with his father and his siblings in a van and didn't know at what point in time are we going to eat. And his father kept a pistol on his lap trying to protect the children. You go through that type of childhood to, you know, Alabama giving you the opportunity. And out of nowhere, you know, Josh Jacobs, not a traditional starting running back, had a breakout year this past season and lo and behold this kid's a first round pick yeah and, and i think with josh i think that he could be or in my opinion he was one of the most versatile backs that has come through alabama i think i think if josh jacobs had played maybe back in 2009 you know when we had mark and trent and that was it and now we've got you know Damian Harris, it was last year, you know, Damian Harris and Najee and Josh all trying to, to split a load. I think if if uh, Josh would have had a full workload, I think he could have broken records at Alabama. And not to say that, you know, it was a bad thing because he's he's going into the NFL now fresh. He really only has one full season under his belt. So um, I definitely think Josh Jacobs, it, it's amazing that he's one of the most talented running backs to come through Alabama. And – Coming out of high school, he was unheard of until he made his own highlight tape that he pushed. <clears throat> so I've got I've got a uh, I've got a question for you. The SEC. I know that we've talked about Georgia, but I think a lot of people in their minds, you know, it's Alabama and Georgia right now. Those two at the top. Um, I think LSU is still pretty stout, but I'm going to say Jeremy Pruitt 
it was one of my favorite coordinators that we've had at Alabama, and I think that he's really starting to make some moves in recruiting at Tennessee. Um, do you think that he could get that program back to what it once was? I absolutely believe he can. And, and, he, and he, here's a guy, Pruitt, that he's about relationship. And uh, with Pruitt, he's real. Uh, he's genuine. It's what you see. It's what you get. And uh, he really values the high schools around the area. And uh, when he when he walks into a high school, when he walks into a home, you are getting a genuine coach, not just the X's and, the X's and O's, but somebody that really cares you know, about these players. So that that's the first piece of Pruitt is just the relationship side that he brings that he has fine-tuned. But as far as the play on the field goes, he's got talent at Tennessee uh, right now. you got wide receivers in uh, – uh, and Josh Palmer and uh, Juwan Jennings, of course, Marquez Conaway is back. At quarterback, you got Jared Gorantano, who's got 21 games under his belt. The one issue with Tennessee is can they get the offensive line in order? That's been the Achilles heel of this program, whether it's guys not healthy, whether it's guys uh, not having the experience or not having the technique. There's been a problem with that offensive line. As in those 21 games that Goran Tunnel has played, uh, he's been getting killed back there. Uh, he's been getting dropped like a stack of potatoes. Now, of course, this past year he did have a strong touchdown to interception ratio of 12 to 3, but if he can get some protection within that pocket, uh, Tennessee can definitely take uh, that next step under Pruitt. <clears throat> So uh, one thing I, I want to kind of switch gears again and just kind of jump back to Bama and, and kind of the, the spotlight and, and kind of where they are right now. You know, after the Clemson uh, loss last year in the national championship, um, you know, obviously a lot of people, unfortunately, were very happy uh, that Bama lost. It's just that it just is it is what it is. I mean, but, that's just the way of the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're, uh, this country uh, kind of demonizes you for um, uh, for doing things that are really great. Now, Josh, be honest. You were sitting at my house watching that game. You were cheering for Clemson just as much as a Clemson fan was. Look, I, I, you know, it's it's as an Auburn fan, It's I mean, it's tough to be an Auburn fan. And, and I respect Nick Saban as a coach. I think he's probably the greatest coach that, that we've – at least I've ever seen in my, in my time – but it, you can't help but to uh, to kind of root against them sometimes because they are that machine. Uh, but the the one thing I want to ask you is a lot of people, especially after that game, said, well, that's it. Alabama has peaked, and now it's time for the downward trend. Uh, of, uh, and, and that could just be people who were, you know, not big fans of Alabama. But what, what do you think – where do you think Bama stands from this point going forward? And do you think they have peaked? And if so, where do you think that this leads to them in the future? I don't think they've peaked. I think, I think Nick Saban is actually preparing for a rebirth. I really feel like Nick Saban is actually preparing for a rebirth. You look at what he did in the offseason. This is the second offseason to where there's a brand-new coaching staff coming in. But the difference is, I feel like the 2018 coaching staff was full of young recruiters. There was a lot of talk. You know, Nick Saban's old now. He's 66. He doesn't speak the language of these young kids. He doesn't speak the social media. He doesn't speak the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube. 
He's not like these hot, spry, young coaches that can really get the minds of these kids. So that's going to cause him to slip in recruiting. And of course, when Alabama barely had the top five signing class, the number five signing class for 2018, that's when people really started to kind of hit the panic button. What's going on? These guys aren't coming to Bama. Is this legit? Is Nick really slipping in his way of, of, of getting these guys, of getting these young athletes to come to the program? But he has went back to getting the guys that cannot just recruit, but those that can actually get down in the trenches with these young men and coach up these positions. Because, as I've always said, you can bring the talent in. That's one thing. But it's a whole other ball game when you talk about developing these players. Mm. Anybody can recruit. Folks can recruit. But can you develop the talent? Well, and you've, you've seen that at Auburn. I mean, unfortunately, as an Auburn fan, uh, I mean, they without, have. Without just, without even just Auburn, you go back and look at Tennessee with Butch Jones. Oh, yeah. I mean, Butch Jones recruited tons of talent, but when it came down to developing those guys, he couldn't do it. And there was toxicity, uh, there was confusion in that locker room, and ultimately it led to. Butch Jones in the garbage can getting kicked out of Rocky Pop. And he's right now uh, the intern, as Nick Sage would call it, at Alabama. So it's one thing to get the guys in. It's another thing to develop uh, these players and have them reach their full potential. And I feel like Nick Saban this year has gotten the gist of, look, Alabama football is going to sell itself. Mm. Whether it wins, whether it loses, you're still going to have people wearing Alabama hats, shirts, jerseys, shoes. I I saw a woman at my job today rocking a pair of Alabama gold hoop earrings. So (laughs) the paraphernalia is going to sell regardless. So the idea is let's get back to what we know. What we know is getting coaches in here with tenure, with experience, that understand this program and know how to win in this program and know how to win at their respective positions. This is why you see South and Theory back. This is why you see Alabama go out there and grab uh, Charles Kelly, a native of Alabama, off the Tennessee staff who is entering his 29th season of coaching defensive backs. This is why you see Alabama pulling a guy like Brian Baker from Mississippi State to run the defensive line. And Baker, who's got 30-plus years of coaching experience, including 19 of those in the National Football League. So he has been to where the guys like Raekwon Davis, LeBron Ray, they're trying to get to the league. So now you've got a coach in uh, uh, Brian Baker, who's been in the league. So they're going to benefit from having that type of coach on this roster. So for Nick Saban, it's Alabama football sells itself. Let's get these coaches in here that are going to really motivate, push, and get every ounce out of these guys. I think Nick Saban potentially is headed for a rebirth. So, Stephen, uh, so Stephen moving on uh, to my guys over at Auburn, uh, how do you feel about this upcoming season for the Tigers? Uh, looking at it, some people believe that depending on how this season goes, this could be Gus Malzahn's last year. And for a lot of fans, that could be a good thing. For a lot of fans, that could be a bad thing. But I just want to know, what's your personal thoughts moving on into this season with the Tigers? 
With me being objective, I feel like it comes down to the quarterback play. I feel like whoever rises between Gatewood and Knicks, a lot is going to be on them. And uh, I know the Auburn Nation is high on Gatewood, but Bo Nix is a guy that was very uh, highly rated coming out of the Elite 11 and different camps uh, where high school athletes are concerned. So he's being pegged as the big prize, uh, for lack of a better term. But whichever one of those two can rise and fall camp and really give that Tiger offense what it needs in terms of having a quarterback that can get the ball downfield, that can utilize his receivers, because you guys got the receivers. Uh, with Seth Williams being the big uh, piece of that, you've got weapons downfield. Uh, defensively, uh, Kevin Steele and the guys you and the guys y'all return, Marlon Davidson, uh, Nick Coe, a big Derek Brown in the middle, uh, Jeremiah Denson in the secondary. So defensively, Auburn returns some pieces that can give teams a big scare in college football. Uh, the Chief and the Tigers. Who wants it bad enough, and who will the team uh, rally around more in terms of Gatewood or Bo Nix? So, Stephen, one of the final things that I'm that I'm curious uh, to get your thoughts on, and this has been, you know, somewhat of a controversy um, over the last several years, and and it's it seems to be. Uh, getting to a point where we're where it's going to be unanimous eventually, but uh, I'm talking about the Fair Pay to Play Act, which was recently uh, approved in the California State Senate back in May. Um, now, it, a lot of people think, well, now it's over. Now they're going to start paying, but it's not necessarily true. It it, it moves to the Higher Education Committee now. Um, but do you think that this is kind of the beginning of the new age of paying college players? And do you think that we should pay, pay these college players? I think we're moving, the needle is moving toward that point. And I'm for, I'm for a stipend for college players, not a, a whole, you know, ungodly amount of money, but a stipend for these college players just, just due to, you know, these guys make these particular universities and programs uh, five to six to ten times the money that they're bringing in in terms of, of revenue, in terms of uh, the enrollment for, for, uh, for, for students coming on campus. Just there's a number of different ways where these student athletes make the universities across the landscape a ton of money, and they don't see any of that. And then you got to look at the fact that for a lot of these guys, they get hurt, uh, they get injured, and uh, – for some that choose to not pursue the NFL draft if they're eligible and they come back you know, for their senior year or their junior year or what have you, and they get hurt, and uh, there's a medical bill, there's a hospital bill that they have to pay. And I mean, on top of that, you know, my favorite type of player are the walk-on guys. You know, the walk-on guys that don't get a scholarship. The walk-on guys that they're basically crash test dummies, if you will. They have to hit, they have to tackle, they have to prepare the starters and the uh, marquee rotationary players. They have to hit them, tackle them, uh, play against them harder than the competition has to play against them to get them ready for that competition. And those walk-ons, they don't see a scholarship and they don't even see a payment, and they're putting their body on the line more so than – 
the starters and the rotationary players. So I, I feel like at some point there has to be a, a stipend uh, for these players for the, the work that they do because it, 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 it's a 24-hour job, not just you know knowing the skill set or knowing the system on the actual football field that you're studying for and conditioning your body and keeping your body healthy and in shape for that battle but you're also conditioning your mind for their schoolwork also. There's schoolwork, there's football work, there's social uh, things that they still probably want to be involved in. It's a 24-hour job being a student athlete. Yeah, and, and I, I certainly agree with you. I think that it does need to be a stopping because if, if you get into the, the play of we're going to pay college players based off what, they, what the school or the NCAA thinks they're worth, then you're going to have unequal pay just like we do in professional sports that, that we deal with every single day and because you're going to have, obviously, the football programs and the basketball programs at your Dukes and North Carolinas are obviously the big money tickets, but then you got to think about, okay, well, what about the soccer team, the swim team, the tennis team? It, you can't just do it for some and not do it for others. It's got to be across the board. So I think that there, a, a stopping could certainly be something that could be equal uh, but also be incredibly helpful. Absolutely. So uh, I think as far as uh, as going forward, um, you know, just one last thing that that I think Dylan wants to ask you uh, about the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I wanna I wanna start where we ended. Uh, one of the first things that you said really kind of had me fired up as far as the mentality of the players. So my last question is, with if. We can stay relatively healthy, you know, specifically players like Tua and Dylan Moses and Xavier McKinney with this edge that this year's Alabama team has. What what would you what would your predictions be for this for this twenty nineteen Crimson Tide team? I see if, if if everybody stays healthy and everybody stays locked in uh, mentally, I see this team going back to the college football playoff. Uh, as, as the SEC champion, and I see this team uh, finishing the job in uh, the national championship game. I mean, one one thing that that Nick Saban has always stated that's kind of stood out, that kind of stuck out to me, is while Nick Saban appreciates his players getting uh, kind things, positive words being said about them, Nick also knows that too much hype is a bad thing, which is the reason why he, he always comes to the media and goes, well, why not sometimes you guys write something, you know, that our players don't do so well. So I can show the players and let them know, hey, you know, here's a site that don't like you. Hey, here's a site that says that you're slipping in this area. Hey, you know, here's a site that's saying that, you know, you're not the big dog. What you going to do about that? You know, give us something that is going to really, really motivate us. And with all the bulletin board material that was provided during the SEC media days, and of course, ACC media days where Clemson is concerned, and, you, and you've, you've seen the articles where it's you know Alabama and Nick Saban need to stop making excuses and recognize Clemson and kiss the rings of Clemson, and you've got you know other articles that are out saying you know, Alabama needs the cold slap in the face. Uh, rest is surely that. You know, Saban and Scott Cochran, the uh, director of strength and conditioning, are pulling out these quotes and they're putting them around the campus just so these players can see not everybody now is for you. So what you going to do? Here's your adversity. Here it is. 
how are you going to attack that? So, uh, like I mentioned, get ready to see a very hungry, angry, angry uh, football team uh, take this field, starting with Duke, because when Alabama is attacked, uh, they respond in a very vicious manner. Well, good deal. Well, Stephen, we, we appreciate you being on with us. Uh, before we go, I, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us where uh, fans can find you, social media, your podcast, Touchdown Magazine, everything. Where can everybody find you at? Well, first off, they, they can find me on Twitter at Coaching M. Smith. It's Stephen M. Smith, but the Twitter handle is at Coaching M. Smith in my spare time. I do a little volunteer coaching for high school kids. So uh, that's at Coaching M. Smith on Twitter. Uh, they can follow uh, the work that I do at Touch. At, the work that I do can be found uh, on Touchdown Alabama Magazine. Uh, the site is tdalabamamag.com. And once again, that site, tdalabamamag.com, where we cover uh, the Crimson Tide from a number of different angles. Uh, that Twitter handle is at tdalabamamag.com. On Facebook, we are Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And then for the YouTube channel, it's Touchdown Alabama Magazine on YouTube. Uh, the podcast show is titled In My Own Words, and they can catch the audio on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can catch the videos Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So we're keeping you locked and loaded on the Crimson Tide. Well, good deal. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. Uh, we're, we're still trying to figure some things out around here but uh, i think you being on it is definitely gonna boost us a little bit so we really appreciate you being on with us oh uh, no problem thank y'all for having me thanks Stephen. have a good one brother thanks man you too